Well, that was just beautiful. Thank you so much for the wonderful music that we've enjoyed this week. I am so grateful to the Lord for the privilege of coming and being able to preach and to teach during this week of the missions conference, and I'm excited at all that God is doing in our lives. If you have your Bible, I'd ask you to open with me to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. While we turn there, I would like to thank all of you who participated in last night. Uh, first of all, those who invited guests. That was amazing to see so many people from uh, so many different cultures that came in. I felt right at home. I enjoyed myself immensely speaking with people from all over the world and uh, had a great time. And you know, it's, it's so wonderful to try to uh, encourage someone who perhaps has come from a foreign country and they feel like no one cares for them, no one uh, loves them, and then they come to a church like Falls Baptist Church and find out, wow, these people are really interested in us, and uh, what a testimony. Uh, the impact that last night had goes far beyond what happened last night. And don't be surprised if in the days to come you may see some of those people back in church and then even see some of them come to know the Lord. Uh, last night seeds were planted in some hearts that had never ever before heard the gospel. So I just want to encourage you as a student body, thank you, thank you so much for all that you did. Now Psalm 2. If you would, please stand as we read Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. Yet... Have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion? I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, please bless as we spend this time together studying Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would challenge our hearts with our personal responsibility to do what You want us to do in regards to reaching the lost all around the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. On the night of the 22nd of January of 1999, a missionary from Australia with two of his sons... Timothy and Philip, Timothy was seven years of age and Philip was ten years of age, went to visit a little town by the name of Manoharpur in the state of Orisha or Orissa in India. 
they had gone there to have what they called a jungle camp. They went into the village and they would invite the villagers together and they would sing and they would preach and they would have a very special time of fellowship. And then at night, because there were no hotels nearby or any place for them to rest, they would stay in their car. So that night after the service, Mr. Graham Staines and his two sons went and they got into the back of a car and they went to rest for the night. Now, near that town, there were some Hindu radicals. And these people hated missionaries. As a matter of fact, they were part of an anti-missionary movement. And they heard about the missionaries coming into Manoharpur. And so they began to gather from the village other men who were against missionary activity. And they began to incite them to violence and saying, you know, this man is going to... to uh, erase our culture. He's, he's going to cause us problems. We, we need to get rid of him. We would do our community a service by killing him and killing his children. So they, they came to where the car was and they, they first tied the doors so that they couldn't open them and then they piled all types of brush around the car and then they poured diesel all over the car and all over the brush and then they set fire to the car and burned the missionary and his two sons alive until they died. It was a sad moment in, Israel, in India's history. Many newspapers the next morning or in the following days wrote articles about how this man had gone to India for the purpose of starting a leprosy clinic how that in all of that area the only one who would accept lepers was this foreign missionary because Indians can't stand lepers. I remember when we lived in India, lepers would come up to our car and sometimes a finger would be missing or perhaps they'd have just a stub of a hand and they'd be wrapped up in this white sheet and if you didn't want to give them money, they would begin to unwrap it and they would try to touch you with their leprosy. And the Indian people would get very scared and they would immediately throw money at them. Most Indians cannot stand to be around leprosy. They're very, very afraid of it. And I remember, even after we moved to India, hearing stories. And yet there were the other stories as well saying, No, all missionaries should be sent out of India. No missionary activity should occur in our homeland. This land is Hindu land. This land cannot accept anyone of any other religion. The question that is posed by our text is very interesting. Why do the heathen rage? Why do the heathen rage? You see, all over the world, you find these groups of people, many times unreached people groups, and it seems like there is this rage just beneath the surface, this anger that is just beneath the surface. And when you arrive and you begin to speak to them about Jesus Christ, it's almost like a volcano that erupts. And you have to ask yourself, why do the, the heathen rage? According to the Joshua Project, there are somewhere close to 16,404 people groups here upon this earth about half of which are still unreached people groups. 
There are 7,000 languages that are spoken on earth today. Approximately 600 have a translation of the Bible. Another 2,000 have the New Testament. Approximately 1,800 have other portions of Scripture. But over 3,500 still do not have a single verse of Scripture. And the question then comes back, why do the heathen rage? Some of you are from foreign countries. And you know that in your country, Christianity is almost unheard of. To have a, a, a church like Falls Baptist Church and a college like Baptist College of Ministry in your homeland would be a dream. But there are many people who are raging, angry, upset. We think of the Apostle Paul himself. He was a persecutor. He, he, his desire was to eliminate all Christians. There are people around the world that are being persecuted for being Christians today. There are those who sit in jails in North Korea, in Iran, and other countries because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We hear of people who are killed because of their faith almost daily. The news comes out of India. And so the question comes again, why do the heathen rage? Why do the heathen rage? I remember when we moved to Israel back in 2006. We lived in Jerusalem and I had the privilege of getting to meet many people there. And I met a young lady. She was petite, quite thin, probably about five foot five. I remember that she had long blonde hair and she loved to play the violin. She looked like, you know, your little sister kind of an idea. And, and I remember meeting her, and I said, and what are you going to do here in Israel? And she said, I am a missionary to the terrorist in Israel. I looked at her and I said, wow, that's amazing. And Pastor Dr. Jim, my first thought was, you don't have a clue what you're doing. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But then I found out that she had a black belt in four different martial arts. <laughs> I found out, Dr. Jim, that she had been training with the IDF, and they actually were using her as an instructor, the Israeli Defense Forces. This beautiful, petite young lady with long blonde hair, dressed in beautiful skirts, very, very modest. And I said, wow. Hats off, lady. <laughs> I remember once she came and she said, you know, this last week uh, I sat in four different trials of convicted terrorists. She said, and, and I, I sat there as an observer, but later on they allowed me to interview them. And she said, and I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with all four of them. A 21-year-old long blonde haired violin playing petite modest young lady a terrorist a, a missionary to the terrorist wow why do the heathen rage why do the heathen rage you realize that god wants his children that's us to understand why it is that the world is so angry H have you sensed perhaps that we live in a day in which there are people that are angry against Christians and Christianity? 
angry. Right here in the United States, there are those in politics that are literally angry against Christians and against churches. I heard an interview just this last week with a presidential candidate and they asked him, uh, if you were to become the president, would you take away the tax-exempt status of churches and colleges that do not support gay rights and gay marriage? And he said, absolutely. I would take away their tax-exempt status immediately. When the mayor of Houston tells the pastors in her own town, send me your outlines, I want to make sure that no one is preaching against the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transsexual, and queer community. That's the day in which we live. It's very possible that our next president in the United States of America will be very anti-Christian. And I'm asking you, do you know why the heathen rage? Do you understand that there is this phenomena that occurs all over the world and people without Christ are angry and upset and violent against those of us who believe in Him? See, not only does God want us to understand, He wants you to be able to take the steps that you and I need to take to be able to help them. Here in this passage we find that there's three reasons why the heathen rage. Look at verse number 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. The first reason why the heathen rage is because they do not understand God. They do not know God. See, you and I look at God and we say, God is loving, God is patient, God is merciful, God is full of grace, God is uh, 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 the one who blesses us, God is the one who provides for us, God is the one who protects us, God is the one who helps us. And they look at God and they say, God is the one who hinders us, God is the one who condemns us. God is the one who is angry with us. God is the one who tries to limit us. Our perspectives are totally opposite from their perspective because we know the Lord. My grandfather was a soldier during World War II. He was in Germany, France, Austria, all over Europe and many different places. One of the towns which he went into was the town of Gunskirchen, in Austria. One day while he and his buddy were on patrol, just the two of them, walking through the forest, they began to hear these cries and they began to smell a familiar smell. And my grandfather and his buddy went and discovered a concentration camp, Gunskirchen Lager, Gunskirchen concentration camp in Gunskirchen, Austria. They went to that particular concentration camp. They found as they arrived that the Germans had already left. The Germans knew that the Allied forces were coming in. They had padlocked the doors to all of the buildings. They had padlocked the gate, the entrance into the concentration camp itself. My grandfather came and with a saw, he sawed off the locks and the chains and opened up the doors and then went building by building, unlocking all of these buildings. Inside of those buildings there were people still alive and others that had already died inside of those buildings. They opened up the gates to allow the people to walk out freely. 
My grandfather said that as they began to walk through the gates and they suddenly realized that they were free, they, he said that many of them fell down to the side with heart attacks and died on the moment. He said, and use this phrase, they died like flies. You see, they didn't even know what they were going to do now that they were free. For years they had been stuck inside of this concentration camp, not even knowing if they were going to live to see the next day, not even knowing if someday they might be able to be free. Now they're free for the first time ever, and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. There's, there's no way for them to make a phone call back then. There's no way for them to send a text or an email. Where are they going to live? They have absolutely nothing. The Allied forces sent in soup wagons. A very, very well-educated doctor came to my grandfather and he said, Sir, he said, I, I'm going to die unless you help me. He said, What I need is one teaspoon of soup broth every hour for the next 48 hours. And if you will give me only one teaspoon, even if I beg you for more food, do not give me more food. He said, My stomach cannot handle it. He said, if I were to eat a piece of bread, my stomach would explode because my stomach is not ready for that. My grandfather and his, his mate, his, his buddy, took turns giving this man their bunk so that he could have a place to sleep. And for 48 hours, they would wake up and give him one spoonful of warm soup broth, and they nursed him back to health. 18,000 people died in that concentration camp. I had the privilege of going to Gunskirchen in 2003 with my family. We were in Austria, I was over there preaching and I went to the village. I met the mayor of the village and I asked her about the concentration camp. And she said, sir, you're the first relative of any of the soldiers that have ever come back to ask us about the concentration camp. She said, as a mayor, she said, one of the things that I'm most interested is in knowing the history of our area. She said, but most of the people in the town of Gunskirchen do not even know nor want to know what happened here in our town. They would prefer to forget it. And I ask you, why did the heathen rage? Because they don't know the Lord. See, you know the Lord. You know what He can do for you. You know how He's changed your life. You know the blessing that it is to have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to have the hope of heaven, to have God's Word that you can read and study. And the rest of the world doesn't have that. And you look at someone who's willing to sacrifice their life and you sometimes might be think, tempted to think, wow, I, I could never do that. I could never give up my life and, and go serve teenagers like Dr. Jim Van Gelderen. I, I could never go around the world like Pastor Mark Gilmore. I could never go and, and serve in a foreign country like these missionaries that are here. That, that's too much of a sacrifice. But when we consider what God has done for us, there is no sacrifice too great for such a wonderful and loving God. Why do the heathen rage? Because there's so many, so many that still do not know the Lord. Look down with me at verse number 8. Psalm 2.8 says, Asks of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, 
and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. The second reason why the heathen rage is that there's no one who's asked God for them. There's no one who said, I'll, I'll, I'll take them, Lord. I'll take that group. Would you give them to me? Would you give me that people group, Lord? I'm reminded of the testimony of John Chow, a young American man of Chinese descent who God put upon his heart to begin to pray for the North Sentinelese Island, a member of the Andaman Islands of India. And he began to pray every day for those, those people on that island, a people group that is completely untouched, a people group that has no contact with the outside world, a people group that their own country does not allow the police to go in there, does not allow the army to go in there. They, they do not receive any outside help. They, they live dependent, completely dependent upon what they can do for themselves on that island. There are no doctors allowed to visit that island. There are no medicines. Uh, this people group is completely alienated from the rest of the world. And John Chow said they need to hear the gospel. They need to know about Jesus Christ. The Lord says go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and that includes the North Sentinelese. He said I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to do what I can to go help them. And so he went over there. He went on the island. The first day he arrived, a young boy about 10 years of age shot an arrow, hurt him in the shoulder. He was able to get back off the island, back onto a boat. He wrote in his diary that night, I'm going back tomorrow. I don't know if I will live or if they will kill me, but I must give them the gospel of Jesus Christ or die trying. The next day he went back. And those that were on the boat watched at a distance through binoculars as they took this young man and began to drag him up and down the beach of that island, most likely dead. The Indian government has not allowed anyone to go in there to actually verify that he did die. Was John Chow wrong? Before he left, he studied linguistics to be able to learn the language as best as possible. He also became certified as a paramedic to be able to help them with medical needs. He did everything he could. He prepared for four years and then he executed his plan and he actually reached that place and died the next day. You see, he wasn't willing to say that the devil could have the North Sentinelese. He said, I'm going to do everything I can to reach those people. There are people groups all around the world that are unreached. And it might be that you could be the key to that group. That God would use you. Would you ask the Lord for them? Would you seriously call out to God and say, Lord, I... By Jesus Christ's name, I beg you to give me that group. Let them be mine. Let me be the key to reaching that people. I remember when I started praying for the people of Mongolia. Literally crying out and begging God. I was in India at the time. I'd never even been to Mongolia. I'd only heard about them. And yet God was preparing my heart to go to Mongolia 
And the day that I had the opportunity to present to them the Word of God, the New Testament, translated into their own language out of Greek, oh man, that was such a wonderful day. Even if I never get to live in, in Mongolia again, I'll go back and forth. I don't know if I'll ever get to live there again. I've made a small impact in that country. You could too. You could too. Who are you willing to pray for? Look down, if you would, to verse number 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. The third reason why the heathen rage is because there's no one teaching them about God. There's no one teaching them about God. The Lord has given me incredible opportunities. I've had the privilege of sitting down with members of parliament in India and sharing the gospel with members of parliament in India. I've had the privilege of being in the Knesset in Israel and sitting down with members of the Knesset in Israel. I know a man who used to be the deputy prime minister of Israel, Moshe Ya'alon. I've met with him six different times. I've had the privilege of going through the plan of salvation with Mr. Moshe Ya'alon. He is a contender for the prime ministership of Israel today. I'm praying that God would continue to use this man, but his greatest need is to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. I've had the privilege of meeting ambassadors. I've had the privilege of meeting presidents of six different countries. I know many kings and Africa that I've had the privilege of coming into contact with. God has given me an opportunity. Watch this. If you'll look for those opportunities and if you'll take advantage of those opportunities, God will open doors for you that you cannot imagine. And that's why this verse says, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. If, if you will decide that as you have opportunity, you're going to share your faith with others. You're going to teach them about your God. Listen, God will use you. But the heathen are raging right now because they do not understand God. Because there's no one who's praying and asking God for them. And because there's no one who's teaching them. And I believe with all my heart that seated before me today are a group of people that can make a difference. I truly believe that God could use you far beyond your imagination because He is the one who is omnipotent, because He is the one who is worthy, because He is the one who can enable you. If but only you would cast your eyes upon Him and say, yes, Lord, with your help, with your strength, I will go and I will tell them. I will teach them. I will pray for them. I will instruct them. Oh, God, please give me that privilege. Send me. That's your prayer today. I'd ask you to please call out to the Lord. And He will answer. Heavenly Father, in the quietness.